This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumping Into. This is part of a series of Bumping Into shows called Bumping Into That Sound. So let me explain the original concept behind the Bumping Into That Sound uh, series. I wanted to collect a bunch of musicians that uh, were well-known in their field for having a particular sound or being extremely well-known in their craft. Then taking them and doing a, a short series of interviews that basically would go into how they started, what was their influences, and then across the aspects that make up the majority of their sound. Predominantly, I guess, their live sound, which the reason for that is that that tends to be what fans most aspire to as a guitarist or a musician if you admire someone it's the way they sound live that tends to really resonate and what you try to duplicate when you're playing along at home so that was my original concept um it didn't quite work out that way what started to happen is the conversations became too good to compress and cut and form into uh, a one or two combined episode so Rather than, um, I suppose, strip away what I really thought was important and interesting, I thought what I'll do is I'll give them their own space and they'll just become a regular episode. But they'll be for, they'll be part of a bumping into that sound uh, concept where it's about the musician and their sound. This is what I've come up with um, and this is the first part. This is the first episode. There was a couple of people that really stood out. One, because um, they were great conversations, but they were also extremely giving of their time um, and their information. And it, a couple of them were just a, a sheer joy to talk to and spend, you know, if it was half an hour, an hour with. So um, I want to start this one off with Joel Hookstra. A lot of people are going to know Joel as the guitarist for Whitesnake, He's been in Night Ranger. Um, he's also the guitarist for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. One of the best guitarists that you're going to hear. But not only that, there's more to Joel than that. Joel is often referred to as one of the genuine nice guys of the music business. And that comes through on this, uh, this conversation, this interview with him. He's extremely talented, got a great, big, tough rock sound. Your signature Les Paul into a Marshall turned up. A um, lot of gain. Anyone that's into that sound is going to love this episode because Joel goes into the equipment he uses, the style of playing he has, all the details that as you know, a young musician starting out or getting interested in, you, know, you, you live by those words, you live by the detail of what strings does, does the player use, what pickups does he have, what amp is he running. And that's what I've tried to capture for people that are you know, into it to get something from it. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a great interview with some good information and I'll catch you on the other side. Hey, Joel, how are you going? Hey, how's it going? Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely, yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. My original ideas changed a little bit on what I was doing with these this series of podcasts um, only because some of the stuff that I've got is too good to to condense into, uh, you know, five six players in one episode so i'm I'm going to strip them out and have them singly so that's that's sort of where i'm sort of going okay sure 
I know you've you've said in the past ACDC is um was one of your big influences uh, as to why you started playing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my parents are classical musicians, so I grew up with music around the house like twenty four seven. I mean, they're both very very um, talented, and um, they had me playing really young, and I didn't really take to it. I uh, but. Glad I went through the process, gave me a good sense of pitch and rhythm and reading music at an early age and sort of internalized, I think, a lot of what helped jumpstart me on guitar. Um, but really what launched guitar for sure was, um, uh, it was actually more of a visual thing because it was right when MTV had come out. Um, so MTV started, and I don't know if you remember those days, but there was like, you know, literally like five or six videos that would just rotate. And, and oddly enough, I can't even recall which ACDC song it was, but one of them was an ACDC song. And I remember looking at Angus Young and going, that, right there, that's what I want to do. That guy's the coolest person I've ever seen in my life. I want to be him. And he's still going. Absolutely. And you've never seen him take five minutes off, have you? No. I mean, five seconds off. I mean, tip of the cap to him for sure. It's yeah. like... That you know, not one, not one iota of footage of him looking like he's phoning it in. He's, no, uh, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, incredibly dedicated performer, and uh, you know, a terrific guitarist, obviously as well. So, and can you identify if if you know now you're you're clearly you know you look the part of rock, you play the part of rock, you you're at the the top um, of of you know the the rock career that anyone could hope for. If you go back, do you remember that point in time where you thought, you know, pre-playing the big stages where you've then gone, I've made it. Now this is where I want to be. All of a sudden it clicked and and this is it. Um, You know, everything built so gradually for me that I never really had that one defining moment. So, right. um, so it sounds... Um, not grateful enough when I say I've had a series of baby steps or um, small breaks that have built my career because that minimalizes uh, or minimizes um, the impact of joining White Snake and things of that nature, you know. So sometimes I like to describe it as a series of bigger breaks, you know. But uh, the way it built for me was just kind of working my way up through um, the Chicago suburban scene, basically, you know, gigging with any band possible and um, just constantly playing guitar, constantly teaching. I had 70 students a week and um, I just kind of gradually found success. The first time I became a full-time performer, I felt like that was a moment. Um, I felt like, you know, joining Kathy Richardson's band in Chicago felt like a moment for me because she was a very popular local artist um, who, you know, nowadays sings with Jefferson Starship and does really well for herself. And um, but that was a moment of going like, hey, this is cool. I'm in a, you know, a popular band and people actually want a picture with me or my autograph. And, you know, so that was a moment of feeling like, hey, that's more than I ever thought I'd do. And then. Um, then moving to New York and being a part of the show, Love Janice, about Janice Joplin, that was when I became a full-time performer. And I thought, wow, I never thought I'd see the day. Like I wasn't just like a guitar teacher who did some other stuff, you know, gigs. Wow, okay. Um, and so, you know, it's all, all these breaks along the way. And then if I, if I gave you the reader's digest of the build, it's, um, from there going with the turtles and big brother and the holding company, um, Acts like World Stage and Scrap Metal led to Night Ranger. Um, um, along that time, being a part of Pit Stuff led to Rock of Ages. 
Um, put those together, those led to Trans-Siberian Orchestra, put it all together, led to Whitesnake, David taking time off led to Cher. So it's like all these kind of, you know, the it's always just kind of yeah. been like all these additions, but there was never that one defining moment. If you talk about your sound, is there is there an album or a piece of work or something that if someone said to you, well, show me or, or you know, what what is it? that you define your own sound as? Is there a body of work that you could put that label on? Not really. I mean, that's tough for me as well, because yeah. what, what happened to me is when the 90s um, grunge movement swept in was like right when I got out of guitar school. So like right when I was embarking upon, you know, my musical career, which is, a you know, younger Joel spent all his time working on like all the guitar hero stuff, you know, like listening to all the Satriani and Steve Vai and Steve Morrison and Malmsteen and all those instrumental albums and always sort of maybe um, uh, placed myself in terms of one of those hopefuls of being that type of player. And then um, it so happened that the 90s rendered all of that like you know, completely useless. It was like, yeah, you know, odd time, wasn't it? Yeah. So, um, what that did was that really opened me up as a musician, just to be being open to make myself valuable in any type of playing situation. And, um, I think in general that really increased my love for music as a whole. So I have been a part of lots of different things like over the years that would surprise people. Like when I mentioned the turtles and things like that, I mean, I played bass in the turtles for like two years. So things like that usually are, that's not the standard trajectory of like, say a guitarist in Whitesnake, right? Where yeah. it's like, oh, that guy must've been shredding in his bedroom the whole time. And then yeah. just up in Whitesnake. So, I mean, I, I did a lot of different gigs. I was in acid jazz bands. I've played in wedding bands. I've played in hip hop bands. I mean, I've done like all kinds of different stuff. I've done uh, jazz duo gigs and um, I've played classical gigs, uh, like background as a classical guitarist at social events and things like that. I mean, all kinds of bizarre things that people... So I don't have a typical story. So I'm, I'm on one hand, I'm, I'm, that makes me extremely hard to summarize and like, Hey, this one body of work sums up everything I can do. Yeah. Of um, course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the thing that sums me up more than anything is the philosophy of like the daily work, working hard and just like going after it every day and trying to stay productive. So that's kind of, and that's who I am as a guitarist and who I am as a person and as a musician. Um, yeah. is that person who works hard at it every day and like tries to move forward and be productive. Yeah. 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 You're, I mean, look for me, yeah, and it's always that point in time where someone, I guess, maybe finds you jumps on board or, and they, they, they sort of, I guess, will attach that, um, that sound to you. And for me, I mean, a lot of your work has that, um, big bottom end grunt, it's it's a it's a huge guitar sound. It's not, um, oh, it, I suppose it sounds live. Your work sounds very live. It's got that real explosive sound to it, where it doesn't sound like someone's boxed it in and and restrained it. It's like you've got this guitar that's just full of life and screaming, um, you know, through the soundtrack as such. Which the, I I personally love that sound. I think it's the greatest sound, and you know that in a and a V8 engine is sort of the pinnacle of the best sounds that you can hear. <laughs> well, you know, what happens is 
when you make a name for yourself in certain situations, that's what's pe- that's what people come to you for. So yeah. like in the old days, let's say I got hired to play on somebody's track before I was a part of Night Ranger or White Snake, I would just play entirely for the song. And in fact, if you did try and cram in any guitar heroics, it was typically frowned upon. Oh, wow. Nowadays if people hire me to play on their track and I don't give them some of that, they're kind of disappointed. <laughs> you know, so like if I, if I play totally for the song and play like a session guitarist, they say, Hey, you know, where's the ripping solo, man, you know, yeah. come on. Yeah. So you kind of get, you, you, you kind of have these expectations placed on you about what's, um, you know, wh- why people are hiring you or why they come to you. So, um, that's interesting. Just, you know, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. It just is, that's the way it is. I'm, you know, it's obviously it's cool. Anybody wants me to play on their track, but um, I'm also the type of guitarist that would be very happy just to play, you know, the right thing for the song and what serves the song the best, or as long as things are on a high level, that's what I get off on. You yeah. know, I, I would rather play rhythm guitar, GCD all night long on a really high level than play extremely difficult music and, you know, in a basement somewhere and yeah. not, you know, I, I, I enjoy playing music with great musicians on a high level. Yeah. The master of your craft. And, and that's, you know, where it, it shines through because you, you, you do come across as that absolute professional. If we talk about, so the late, for me, a couple of bodies of work that you've, you've got, and, and even if you, to your most recent stuff that you've done with iconic and that sound that you've got there, if we narrow in on that sound, and talk about what you use to achieve that sound. I mean, even if you talk about the White Snake, um, you know, the, the stuff you've done with them and, and the live sound, I'm, I'm guessing it's quite a similar sort of setup, those two sounds. I mean, you know, the biggest thing with me that I really, somewhere around 2002, evolved into a Les Paul player. And that's like, it, it's, and what's funny is it just took me a long time to get to that point. I grew up as a kid in the 80s doing all the Floyd Rose stuff. I grew up, you know, Kramers and Jacksons and all that kind of stuff. And then um, then being in Chicago, the blues was such a big thing that I started to do more of like the Strats and Tellies and those were my main guitars. And um, and then it really took a long time because I used to go, Les Pauls, those things are always out of tune. I don't get it, you know, like, and then finally I got a Les Paul and I went, I am an idiot. Like this, this is home. And <laughs> so that's the main thing with me. I think that, you know, from album to album, that's kind of become one of the stronger things of my playing identity is that I, I'm a Les Paul player and I, I love playing them. I yeah. love the sound of them. I love the feel of them. Um, so I find myself most at home there. And that's the one common thread from depending on gig to gig, you know, sometimes stuff is modeling. Sometimes stuff is real amps. You know, I'm a big fan of Marshall or Friedman for amplifiers. Um, uh, you've done some, use some other ones that are really happening to Metzabarba, uh, Victory. You know, those are all great amplifiers that um, I enjoy using. And, um, you know, when it comes to virtual stuff, um, you know, it can be the 11 rack or it can be Fractal Axe Effects or it can be uh, my Atomic Amplifier, Studio Devil. I use that quite a bit. So, um, but the the common thread that you'll find is the last ball. ball. Yeah, yeah. And do you change the pickups, or are they, you know, the factory fitted pickups? 
I'm a stock guy. I'm like oh, a, wow. if a guitar doesn't play good and sound good, why do I own it guy? So, right. Okay. So you don't want to have to go. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've never, yeah, I've never been that guy. I, I'm, uh, um, I guess I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not like a handyman, so to speak. Like I don't get off on, let me, let me take these pickups out and swap these in, et cetera. I'll just be like, I don't, that guitar does not like the sound of that. So I'm just going to get rid of it. Oh, okay. And, I mean, everyone, a lot of people associate, you know, when they, they think Les Paul Marshall and there's a lot of music and people say, oh, it's just a Les Paul straight into a Marshall stack turned up and, and, and that's the golden sound. But, and tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like when, when you do that, a lot of the time, I mean, and it can sound a bit thin and they sound a bit angry and you often need something in front some sort of pedal or something to warm it up a bit. Cause Marshall's, I mean, while they're the signature of that rock sound, um, sometimes they do have that, they tend to thin out a bit and sound, a, you, you need something to fill up the sound a bit more beforehand. Is there any pedals that you typically always use to, to achieve that, that big booming bottom end grunt sound that you've got? I mean, I, the boost pedals that I use the most, um, out of sheer laziness, just because I'm not a huge gearhead, um, are my my full tone full drive two I've owned for a long time. So I typically use that if I'm going to do like a fly date gig. Um, you know, I like using two um, thousands for Marshall. I like it, which is also not cool to say. You're supposed to like always talk about you know plexis and you know all this yeah, stuff. But yeah, the JCM eight hundred. I play a lot of high gain music where you have to have pinch harmonics readily available, and, yep. and you know, so it, it all depends on the style of music you're playing as well. I mean, that's a big yeah. part of it. But you know, white sync, you you have to have you have to be able to get a, a squeal when you go for for a, yeah. a yep. pinch harmonic. It has to be there. You can't have some kind of you know, it's got a exactly that yes yeah yeah. so uh you know the more modern marshals um which is not always cool to say um a lot of people are you know all vintage but i like the way a lot of the new stuff sounds even the jvm i've used those like you know i record my stuff for guitar world they always have that um the the lessons and whatnot they have a jvm there and i always like you know i like the sound of this thing honestly yeah um so marshals push it with the full tone um, and with my Friedman with Whitesnake, I pushed that with an old MXR custom audio electronics. It's kind of got two sides. It's got a clean boost and an adding a distortion side. Oh. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's, that's what I used to push the front end on those. And, I'm um, guessing- and so much of it has to do with, you know, cabinet throw. It's like, you know, like having, when you hear Angus Young or, you know, he has not a lot of gain, but there's so much sustain. Yep. And, I mean, he's got nine cabinets on stage angled in every position with his amps, you know, the head's all set to like seven or eight. So, I mean, he's, yeah. you know, no matter where you stand, you're going to get your guitar is going to sing without a lot of gain. So a lot of it comes down to that, too, like how much you're creating all the even order harmonics of the right. of the pickups actually, you know, getting hit with the frequencies that you're throwing out. So. Unfortunately, nowadays it's almost the norm to like have some kind of ISO cab or, you know, something where that's not going to occur. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing too, is obviously volume plays a big part. Volume shapes the sound, you know, and and it's hard for um, a lot of guys to, especially if you're at home and, and, you know, you've got a Marshall there, they sound great when they're being pushed, when they're loud. 
So mm. obviously for, for yourself being live, you would, you would have that big stage volume as well. And it, it feels, and it, and it really has that presence about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely stage volume and also mixed volume. Mixed volume has a tremendous amount to do with it too. I mean, it's like you can take, um, the greatest guitar tone. And if you under mix it, it's not going to sound like the greatest guitar tone. Yeah. A lot of times people go, man, that guitar sounds good. And it's just really because it's loud in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that is a big thing. You know, it's, uh, how, how things are mixed has a lot to do with it. And what gauge strings do you typically use? 11s. 11s. And okay. that, that, again, that's kind of a laziness thing. Like I, um, when I use 10s, I used to break the high E on occasion on gigs and I'd go, enough of that. Like, yeah. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't want to break any strings on gigs. So I switched to 11s. And so regardless of what scale, like a lot of people are like, oh, I use 10s on a Strat and 11s yeah. on a I'm like, I'm too lazy for all that. So I just get like 11 through 48 and however it feels on each individual guitar is that's. Is that the way I, it is? Yeah, so that's yeah, eleven through forty-eight. That's um, yeah, that's. So, I mean, really, your your setup is um, it's like you've you've got this bulletproof core. You've got, you know, a Les Paul into say JCM uh, two thousand. You're using, you know, you know your gauge of strings. You don't have many pedals. It's it's obviously you can turn up and blow them away. Uh, without all the bells and whistles and and you know suitcases full of stuff to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I used to be the guy with the ginormo pedal board for sure. Yeah, um, I think you know everybody goes through their phases with that stuff of falling in love with that. But um, uh, that was a me joining Night Ranger moment when I showed up with like uh, a handful of pedals um, for the gig. The first thing Brad Gillis said to me, he came over, he said, Ooh, you stopped at Guitar Center and bought pedals. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, Look, man, he said, We do fly dates. He said, A lot of times we don't get a sound check. He said, A lot of times we, you know, you're going to like set the volume on your amp, the knobs where they're supposed to be, and we're going to get introduced and you're going to go on. He said, The less you have up here, the less that can go wrong. And that was great advice. Wow. And, and you um, just kept that, it ever since. That's when a lot of my you know, plug and play mentality, like took over and like, unless you really need something, just make it happen with, um, with a, a good sounding guitar and a good sounding amp. Yeah. However, I mean, I, I, am a big fan of delay in the loop, obviously, you know, like play, playing, um, although I, I don't usually have any delay on for my, my rhythms. If I do, it's a, a tighter slap just to widen it a little bit. But, um, Typically, like delay only goes on during leads, and and each song with White Sync, I'll get the BPMs from Tommy Aldridge, and uh, just make sure that the delay is synced in time. So if I do a gliss or slide off, it's nice and in tempo with the song, and um, and I'll set how many repeats and how how strong I want the delay to be for that particular song, and that's it. I think one thing for playing with high gain, I reckon you've got to be. Um careful because very like i love that high gain sound exactly your sound really where it's it's just that high gain martial sound where i i think it sounds fuller it fills the space up a lot more um and i think you've you've mastered it because what a lot of guys do is they end up throwing too much in and it changes the genre of the music it ends up becoming very um frizzy sounding where you lose that bottom end that real deep grunt and so from my point of view 
uh, I think yourself, you've, you've absolutely nailed the sound. You've, you've hit the pinnacle of, of ticking every box, you know, that classic hard rock sound is just, you've nailed it perfectly. Um, I mean, I'm uncomfortable accepting that compliment, but, um, you know, thank you. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, <clears throat> I, I'm always a work in progress with everything I do, you know? Um, so it's, you know, as far as mastering anything, you know, I, I, I'm yet to master any of this stuff, but like, I, you know, I'm always working at it. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of working at it, I noticed you've got your uh, tour dates um, for the, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That's, that's a massive amount of, um, of shows you've got to do. Yeah. I, I call it the Marines of rock. We, uh, <laughs> we, uh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. You have eight yeah. shows a week. So That's typically incredible. you have a single show on Wednesday, a single show Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday are two show days. So um, the shows are slightly over two hours, like maybe two hours and 15 minutes. And wow. so by the time you're done, you're like, hey, I've been on stage four and a half hours today. And then that's not including sound check or any meet and greets you have to do and things of that nature and additional tasks. Um, so getting getting ready, getting dressed and all that. So it's it, it's definitely a good like uh stamina builder right like so oh, when i go yeah. out and bite snake and i play like you know 375 to 90 minutes sets a week it feels like i'm out on a club med vacation quite <laughs> honestly you know the uh, tso will definitely build up the stamina man you know yeah no, look it's incredible uh, it'd be great if if something like that came uh to australia because you know we're sort of starved for that style of um of of show yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's been some attempts to take it over and do, there's been some um, spring tours in Europe and things of that nature. Um, I think just as far as growing it, it's done so tremendously well in the States. It's something you can count on, you know. I mean, we're one of the top billboard tours every year here in wow. the U.S. Jeez, a lot of people don't realize just how successful it actually is. But we're filling arenas twice a day. And then with that, you also have to realize that we have two bands out at the same time. There's an East and a West. So we rehearse together and put the show together. Oh, but so then on those two show days, you're really talking about four shows are being performed in one day. That is incredible. From a production point of view, that's yeah. that's absolutely incredible. So filling an arena four times in in one day, and so that and that's obviously to maximize the amount of shows that can be done around Christmas. Because if it was one band and they, people expect you to hit every all the markets in the U.S., you'd you'd be like, well, we got to start touring in like late August or something. Yeah. Which, yeah. Who the hell wants to go see a Christmas show late August? You know? <laughs> so. Is um I actually discovered by chance um. Is it Kayla Reeves? Is that one of the people yeah. that sing? So is she part of your your band that you tour with? Yep. Yeah, Kayla's in the East Band, um, as am I. So, so I, I discovered purely by chance, um, it was an Instagram video that just came up as a suggestion, and uh, I'd never heard of her before. And what an incredible voice she has. What an extremely talented lady. Yeah, Kayla's got a really cool, gritty, bluesy tone, very yeah. soulful singer, so... Um, we joined the same year and she was just a kid. She was 17. Um, oh, wow. So she was just this young kid. We were just talking about that the other day. I went, oh my gosh, you were just this little kid when you joined. Wow. I, <laughs> I mean, I still think of her. I still think of her that way. You know, she's, she's like my touring little sister out here. You know, she's, she's 30 now, but I'm like, 
you know, the part of me still sees that 17 year old kid that joined this band. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, that's, and so you guys have been doing it for that long. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, since 2010. We do. So yeah, 12 years ago, we each joined. Yeah. Wow. And you're still packing out arena after arena twice a day. That That's incredible. Obviously it's testament to the quality of the show that you're putting on that people just want to keep going and going. Yeah. I mean, the production is the star of the show. Uh, you could, quite frankly, I mean, it's all, all of us come together with our individual talents and fill our roles and we all have our little moments to shine in it. But the production is really the star. Like if you come, if you go to see TSO, you'll be like, wow, well, you know, as great as all the musicians were, the lights and the, you know, the laser light show and uh, the pyro and the, the hydraulic lifts that were on and things like that really kind of steal the show. The video wall is like the width of the arena and wow. um, especially nowadays where that stuff operates on time code you know you're talking like massive massive uh lasers and lights all the way down to like 16th notes with the music so it's quite remarkable yeah Yeah. and apart from that tour is there any other in in the foreseeable future of yourself coming to australia for anything be it with white snake or or anything at all gosh i don't know you know there um there's been nothing really new as far as like, well, you know, white snake, we're just in a holding pattern. You know, David obviously um, was unable to do the U S run and we're just kind of waiting to see, you know, what his plans are. And then um, anything else, you know, you never know. I mean, I obviously just started up with revolution saints and have iconic and um, I do my acoustic duo shows of Brandon Gibbs. So there's a few options in terms of things that could potentially get over there. Yeah, yeah, we we actually were in Australia right when COVID kind of exploded. I mean, oh, we really? At the top of 2020, we we were in Australia and then had just gone to Indonesia and Singapore and were set to go to Japan when it was like <laughs> guess what? Everybody's going home for like two years. <laughs> and do you get sick of the travel? Is that ever is it ever a thing of you get done with just being on the road so much? Or is it just a, a, a normal thing there? You're just happy to no, go with the flow. I, I, I like it. I, I I like it. I enjoy the whole experience. I'm, I, you know, there's things like you realize you get good at. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm a I'm a good traveler. <laughs> well, the, the, everyone's lucky for that because obviously everyone gets to enjoy your music and your live shows. So, um, Joel, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you making time on your own. You know, your Sunday afternoon when you should be relaxing before you. You start the next run of shows. <laughs> this is relaxing. This is just fine. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I really pleasure, appreciate pleasure it. To meet, pleasure to chat. And uh, yeah, you know. When I was doing research and, and trying to get a list of players together that I really thought that had, a, you know, nailed their sound, um, the one theme that always come up with yourself is no one had a bad word to say about you. Everybody was just, just spoke so highly of you and, and spoke, um, you know, you're the genuine nice person of the industry. So it was, a, it was a pleasure to be able to spend half an hour with you. Oh, gosh. Well, um, thanks. Should I say something really arrogant and rude or something? <laughs> no, 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 there's plenty of that uh, out in the world. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I try to, <clears throat> I, I think uh, it, it was a struggle for me to build a career. So um, I think that that aids in keeping me grounded in yeah. terms of, uh, 
uh, understanding that I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to like live my dream that, you know, I've had since I was really 11. So not everybody gets to do that in life. So I'm grateful for it. And there's a lot of amazing players out there who are probably more deserving than I am of that. And they haven't had that opportunity. So I think it's disrespectful at a point not to appreciate, you know, the opportunity to do what I get to do. Yeah. And look, please keep doing it. The world needs more rock music, especially the way you do it. It's, it's feel good music. You know, it's, uh, you can turn it on. It sounds good. It feels good. Um, so, you know, the world needs more of that. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my intention is to just, uh, keep working hard. It's that daily thing and see where it all goes. You know, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes life takes you to places you don't expect. So you just have to kind of like work hard and like ride the wave. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Appreciate okay. it. Bye. Bye. Right. Bye. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to check out any of Joel's work, you can head to his website joelhookstra.com it's got everything there he's done a couple of new bits and pieces with another band called iconic that are all there you can find the details about the trans-siberian orchestra as well i've got another couple of these coming up i'm going to do my best to get them to you as fast as i can they probably won't all be clustered together i'll release them um amongst other conversations um as well so you may have to go digging for for the follow-up episodes but they hopefully will all be there for you to go through and grab some information from at your leisure i've said this before and if you can do it for me that would be great if you know anyone that you think would like this episode please do share it it is the only way the show grows you also can leave a five-star review um I don't agree with the system, but the system is that only five-star reviews count. So if you can, on your platform, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find it. It helps it get suggested to people that might be interested in it. But the main thing for me is if you can share it with someone you think will like it. You can find this episode, more information on this episode, all of the other episodes we've done, coming up episodes. It's all listed on the bumpingintocomau website. For people that are listening uh, overseas in America and other countries, make sure that you have the .au on the end of the web address. You'll find us there. You'll find heaps of information. And we've even got T-shirts. So you can jump on there and grab yourself a Bumping Into T-shirt if you wanted to. Thanks very much. I'll catch you on the next one.